Hello and welcome to this brand new podcast from the Cock and Ball Pod where we take a look at some of the issues across the football world. Today to kick things off, how good are England? What makes international football so special? And most importantly of all, is football coming home? And will it have to self-isolate in a hotel if it does? All that, plus a few other things too. This is the all new Third Eye Podcast. Uh, hello and welcome to the Third Eye podcast, a new pod looking at some of the bigger issues in football, not specific to any particular club. Uh, we're an offshoot from the Cock and Ball pod, a newer, sexier, younger model. We're not retiring that one, just giving it a rest for a few days. It's got a thigh strain and needs a break. Um, <laughs> I'm Jim, guiding us down this veritable Suez Canal of football discussion points. <laughs> and Joining me today are two of the usual reprobates. We have Hertfordshire's very own answer to, well... Liam Gallagher. <laughs> Stephen Sidwell, I don't know. <laughs> it's the secret footballer. It's Tom. Hello. <laughs> In Le Bleu corner. <laughs> I have no content. It's Jules. Morning, mate. How are we? Looking forward to beers. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but once we're actually recording um, in a morning, and I find it strange that I'm sat here with a coffee, uh, I think we all are, as opposed to uh, a crate of beers, which we'll probably be doing in a matter of hours. So we thought we'd start off, um, we're, we're going to touch on a, a few different things in this pod, hopefully. Um, this week was International Week, looking ahead to the World Cup in 2022, which feels like a long way away, but it isn't. Three England matches, we'll just have a... Start off with a quick discussion about England. Fan, did you watch all these games? And are England bad again these days? I've watched most of them. And I think saying that England is bad is a bit harsh. But I know these are technically World Cup qualifiers, but look at the state of the group. I mean, come on. <laughs> if we don't finish top of that group, we don't deserve to be a footballing nation, considering we invented the sport. Um these are essentially warm-ups for the Euros, let's be honest. No one's looking beyond uh, the, this summer's competition, which is, what, 70 days away? Are we, are we at that level now? We're Something so like close that. to it that, that this is essentially what these qualifiers are doubling up as. And it's doing me a big concern because I expect the B team to beat San Marino 5-0. I expect the, the B and a half team to do away with Albania. And... Without Lewandowski or not, I still expect us to beat Poland, who are arguably the, the second strongest team in the group, probably alongside Hungary. Um, so I expected the run of results that we've had. But the biggest test came against Poland, disregard the other matches. They don't really show you anything. Um, and I, I was a little bit concerned at how toothless we looked, considering the, the players that were on the pitch that said were they necessarily the best choice to get goals out of that team? I don't know. What did you think, Jules? I think that we've got a lovely selection of quite random attacking players <laughs> and exactly. very little and very little cohesion or spine. We're a bit like, I don't know, you know how like sausage dogs are cute, but they're utterly impractical. That's the England <laughs> team, I feel. Like we, Could have getting we, themselves we, into a hole. Yeah, and that, that, that felt very apparent in these games. Is we've, got, we've got some lovely players who do things in moments, but we definitely don't have a cohesive, uh, a cohesive group And in that middle part of the pitch. I still feel like we, we struggle against teams like Poland, which is worrying, because as you say, they're not, 
it's not Germany or France or Portugal here. You're not having to go up against Kante and Pogba and we, we barely look like we can compete. But why is that, Jim? Isn't it just that England is a second-tier footballing nation? We, we compare ourselves constantly to the likes of Germany, Italy, Brazil, France. They're all serial World Cup winners. England have won one major trophy ever. In a sense, we're a bit like a Croatia, I think. We can go deep into tournaments. We have propensity to play nice football. But we don't. It's never really felt like it's been particularly coherent. And probably the best team we ever had was the one that Sven Goran Eriksson had. And he had an unfortunate obsession with playing David Beckham, regardless of whether David Beckham should have been played or not, and wasted his six or seven years in charge. But now it seems, I don't know, it seems really exciting, I think. Apart from the fact that the under-21s have just absolutely bombed out of the the Euros themselves. Um, There's a lot of relatively young talent there that, that is quite exciting. We have some really exciting attacking players. We don't have very good keepers, I'm afraid. I'll come back to that. And I think (laughs) (laughs) Albania Mm. should have been a game. It's a game that we won. Mm. But England were not convincing in that game. And I thought for at least half of it, it was very, very slow, ponderous, like wading through treacle. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it, it again comes back to... We, we don't seem to have many holding mids who can pass the ball with any kind of speed or, in, or incision. Um, and I know we played two who hypothetically are there to protect the defence, but in the first half, they were running straight at our back line. Like, like the two centre-backs, look, I know it's sort of um, sheepdogs sort of in fields kind of <laughs> kind of level of scare tactics, um, which was a bit confusing. It's like, well, how did we manage to play two holding mids and still have a gaping chasm right in front of our back four? Um, Why are we playing two holding mids against teams where we're going to be dominating mm. possession? That I was think... my biggest frustration with Southgate in the last couple of years is his persistence in a, a back three come five. But now, now we haven't really got three good enough centre backs to choose from. He's kind of been he's, he's forced his hand, so he's decided to opt for two centre mids instead, which is fine if you're playing against a team who like a good team, you know, a top ten team who are going to have a lot of possession, who have a lot of creative players where you're going to have to sit in a bit. But all three of these fixtures, we've had to dominate possessions. What is the point of having all that possession with two holding mids who are just going to sit there and pass it sideways? You don't need both of them. Do we lack an attacking pivot, do you think? Maybe. I've got a real problem with the three that sit behind Kane. Because Kane, I know I'm a little bit biased, but... There were no there were no strikers better than him in the world, quite frankly. Mm. So you look at the Poland game, he played Mason Mount, Phil Foden and Raheem Sterling, who individually are very good players. But is Mason Mount that creative linchpin that, that you're looking for, Jim? I'm not so sure. Foden and Sterling love to roam. You see it under uh, when City play. They love to move about. They love to, to cut inside. But if everyone's doing that, everyone's in the middle of the park. The three behind Kane, if you get that choice right, it could click. Mm. Something I noticed as well, I'm a big fan of Raheem Sterling's, but the number of times he gave the ball away cheaply against Poland was criminal. If you do that against a good side, you're really going to get punished. And he did it even in the first 20 minutes, three or four times, I think. And that's a bit of a red flag for me. Um, But anyway, speaking of City players, John Stones, Jules, (laughs) dear dear me. (laughs) 
I'm a massive fan. I, I know you two want to slate him, but I, I think he's England's best centre back. I think he's our <laughs> most. <laughs> I, I, I think he's our most progressive. I, I, I think he's brilliant. Um, progressive. He, he is. He is going to make mistakes, but you've got to take him through that and to learn it together as a team to do that. And ultimately, if he's good enough for Pep, I think it's a bit rich for some of us to sort of take umbrage with him. You're quite right. He's, he's had a great season for City. But there seems to be something about John Stones where we talk about him as if he's 18. Like He's going to make mistakes. He's learning. He's 26. We've been saying this for years. How long have we been saying this about John Stones? Ah, oh, but it's the, it's the football he plays. He's, he's risky. We admire that. He'll slowly erode those from his games. He, he hasn't really gotten that much better in the time that we've been watching him. He, he consistently is making not just mistakes where you lose the ball, but fatal mistakes that lead to goals and it's all well and good him looking fantastic for City and like don't get me wrong I would have picked him as one of the best two centre-backs for England at the moment on form mm-hmm. but maybe as we can't say I don't know. Interesting uh, just before we move on then let's quickly let's deal with the keeper issue right, there's been right. a lot of talk for a long time about Jordan Pickford being a bit of a legend in his own lunchtime um, <laughs> and it's interesting that Gareth Southgate, and he called him Gareth Gates then. Uh, <laughs> Gareth Southgate chose to go with Nick Pope. Do a job. For these, um, for these qualifiers. What did you think of him, Fan? My, I like Pope, and he's very highly rated amongst a lot of fans, which is nice, but a lot of fans see a goalkeeper doing lots of nice, uh, impressive saves, which he does incredibly well, and think, good goalkeeper. And there's so much more to a goalkeeper's game than just being a fantastic shot stopper. Uh, unfortunately, with his feet and with the game as it is now, he gets a bit undone when he's under any sort of pressure with under some sort of high press. If you're a centre-back, you're going to hesitate every time you go. You think of using the keeper as an out because you're not totally convinced. And if they're playing with a high-pressing striker, that he's necessarily going to clear the ball to either one of us or into touch or, you know, there are times when the goalkeeper gives away possession, which isn't desirable. Mm. Uh, I think that that's what sells Nick Pope short for me. It's interesting, isn't it? The distribution has kind of become one of the, quite rightly, I think, held up alongside shot stopping now as a, a core skill. Mm. Um, the keepers that can hit channels in particular without putting it into touch are like gold dust. Just through watching too many lower league footballs that have tried to be ball playing <laughs> keepers every time even at the highest level when I see the ball going back to the keeper I'm clenching anyway that's all World Cup qualifiers and that's next year's problem uh, before then we have Euro 2020 in 2021 <laughs> um, we're looking forward to this it's, it's obviously three years since we've had a tournament there's just something joyous about them Jules isn't there oh they're wonderful um, I don't know whether it's also like just the natural happiness when the sun's out and the weather's good and the barbecues are there and the beer's flowing. But the football is um, incidental. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, but it just adds. But there's also something wonderfully like uh, it takes him back to being a child a bit. Like you enjoy it differently as you get older because you're watching it in the pub and you care about your fantasy team and mugging off your mates. But when but when you're a kid, it's it's also it was how we like discovered new talent. Like do you remember like. Andre Arshavin at Euro 2008 becoming <laughs> sensational and everyone being interested. Nowadays, you would have had clips of Arshavin as a 13-year-old being circulated between scouts. 
but when we were growing up like international tournaments were both the school holidays and it was a chance to see players who you never got to see otherwise so they're so special mm. they're unifying as well i think it mm. nothing brings a nation together better than a, a summer tournament and that's why 2018 was probably so nice because the weather was that good as well mm. we got real lucky and you know prime love island <laughs> it, it, it couldn't have been much better and i think this year if we can get to a stage in the summer where we can have those scenes that you saw in like Hyde Park and that, mm. like when Trippier got that free kick, top bends, oh. absolute fucking scenes. <laughs> and, and I'd love to get back to that because it's been such a difficult year as well. And it's, there's all this, I think it's pent up frustration of being locked indoors for so mm. long. Um, bits of speaking, uh, we're going to get quite deep here. Like it's been a tough year for a lot of people. Obviously, club football has been so dominant. It's all we've had to live on. And it's so tribalistic, if that is a word. Uh, and we've seen a lot of the divisions in society highlighted throughout the lockdown. It's almost separate to the pandemic. And it would be nice to have a good old fucking football tournament where we can all put down our arms and uh, get out of the trenches, and just have a kick about. Yeah, I did wonder whether it might be a bit highbrow, but part of the reason why 2018 was so good as well, I think, is because the kind of national conversation and debate for the couple of years leading up to that had been pretty vile. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of division, and suddenly everybody's on the same page. And like, ah, actually, I don't hate half of my countrymen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we obviously watched the semi-final together in a pub in Clapham which was great but the, the the best moment of that tournament for me was being in I lived in Cardiff at the time and I was in um, Cardiff Bay there's like a, a open area where they erected a giant screen and it was the Sweden game packed out crowd half of them were Welsh obviously cheering on Sweden because it's an it's a Welshman's prerogative to hate anything English and half of us were English people that happened to live in Cardiff and it was absolutely beautiful scoring that winning goal being in <laughs> Wales because they hated it. It was fantastic. <laughs> we, Beer I, everywhere, sunshine. I, I had a very different experience of the Sweden game actually with Fenn. I don't know if you remember, Fenn, that I picked you up in my little Fiat Panda, RIP, and we watched it at, <laughs> my, at my parents' house quite hungover together. And I drove mm. past and the, there happens to be the case there's a Swedish school in uh, near where my parents live. And Fenn just leaning out the car window going, come on, England. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I was like, get back in. You're like a dog. Wind up the window. <laughs> but you can, cause I don't think you could control the windows. Was it the winding uh, up? What, oh, the buttons so are in a funny place. And you, yeah. <laughs> you just couldn't stop me. It's fantastic. For like context, Fenn's the kind of guy that goes around wearing Union Jack shorts in France the day after the Brexit vote. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, it was a matter of poor timing. So. Was, I'm not was, even... That was a real low point. I'm not even pro-Brexit. <laughs> my favourite bit about that pub, though, when Trippier scored that goal, was there were screens everywhere. And I think they'd put up additional screens in that pub. And we'd managed to prop ourselves up at a bar, which was fantastic. But <laughs> there was a slight t- delay on the screens on the to the sort of left of the pub. Do you remember that? <laughs> and he, he, Trippier's setting up this free kick, and he's just going to hit the ball. And one side of the pub has started cheering. I was like, you know what? Oh shit! <laughs> I was just like, a couple of seconds later, it's a weird wave of noise. 
swept across the pub from one side to the other. Kind of miss that. People are going to cobble together these massive beer gardens this summer because that's probably how we're going to have to do it. I think there was an element of nostalgia, wasn't there, as well? Like, there wasn't a tournament song mm. for 2018, or at least if there was, it was shit and nobody remembers it. <laughs> so it was just uh, Three Lions. And um, one of the best things, saw the, the <laughs> all the uh, videos that were circulating around the internet of like completely different scenarios. My favourite one was a scene out of Shrek. Where they go to Duloc and open the, they, they open the little cabinet and out come the little soldiers and instead of, instead of singing their song it's three lions and then at the end <laughs> it spits out a photo and it's um, the World Cup in '66 but they've imposed Harry Kane's head instead. <laughs> it's coming it was, home. There, there were so many randomly good things that came out of that World Cup for England, like Harry Maguire chatting up um, the girl. Uh, that, that, meme. That, that meme has gone gone far. Um, Jesse Lingard and Deli Alley for one prime summer becoming unbelievable box-to-box midfielders. <laughs> and they've, they've decided to wait until three months before the next international tournament to start doing it again. Um, <laughs> Trippier. Time you're up. Yeah, exactly. Trippier, has he, has he ever been as good as he was for about three months then? He was he, great. Yeah, that <laughs> Croatia game, he peaked. He, he had was, an absolutely yeah. dreadful Barnet, but um, yeah, oh yeah, but he was outstanding. <laughs> yeah, and we got robbed in that semi. Mm. Sorry, should have won that. Fred, what's your um, uh, World Cup twenty eighteen was obviously great. What's your favourite international moment? I was it. I think it was the last tournament. The whole um, Will Griggs on fire. <laughs> Year two thousand sixteen. Yeah, I'm mm. absolutely biased because. I am half Irish, but when the Irish go to a big tournament, whether it be the Republic or Northern Ireland, everyone knows they're there for a good time. The results are completely irrelevant. <laughs> and everyone just gets on with them. Like England fans have a really bad rep uh, when they're abroad because uh, <laughs> it's probably the nicest way to put it. Um, because I think the, the hard the hardline England fans go to every game and like get three lines tattooed on their chest are probably a little bit lacking something else in their lives perhaps um <laughs> and they've given us all a bad name so it's good to have proper fans who are you know just into having the football having a good crack and you, Do you, you don't really get that with England so it was a breath of fresh air to have this <laughs> little cosm of silliness we're just going to have a good time uh the football is irrelevant we're just pleased to be here. And I, I, I like I like these little nations that come in and do that sort of thing. Do you think part of that's because more kids maybe and and kind of a wider picture of society ties in and watches um, their nation play than their club? Like I was, I was talking to my girlfriend this morning, I was saying how excited I was to be talking about like international football and like summer tournaments. And she was like, eat, her family don't watch football like they don't support a club, but they would watch when the World Cup was on they'd find themselves watching Brazil or Italy or whatever. Like, there's something nice about families yeah. watch it, kids watch it. Like, it, it's a it bigger thing. It catches the mood, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It catches, it's an opportunity to have a barbecue or, like... I, was, my, I don't really remember much about the 2006 World Cup apart from finishing school every day, getting home in time for the 3 o'clock game and yeah. just watching all three games every single day. And then in the... Was it quarterfinals England went out? Um, 
Portugal penalties. Portugal, yeah. Um, I just remember being at a barbecue at somebody's house and that, like just everybody being happy and then being sad and then suddenly being happy again. And I think the thing, <laughs> one of the nice things about international football, I don't know whether you two are the same, but if my club side loses a game, it can ruin my weekend. Whereas if England lose a game, I go, oh, that's annoying. And then get a beer and everything's fine again. Fully agree. And funnily enough, then I've seen you the day after, and obviously when we lived together, like the day after Spurs have lost, you know, FA Cup semi-finals, and you are a bitter, bitter bastard for, about, <laughs> for, for, for at least 48 hours plus after that. Yeah, normally until the next fixture. Yeah. yeah. And by contrast, we you say Euro 2016 was your favourite international tournament. We watched in France, with me being half French, you being half Irish, France knock out Ireland in a pub together. <laughs> and we still yeah. had a good holiday. It was just quite funny because you, Ireland don't, Oh, they're not good enough to beat France. We know that. Even back then when they had you know, better <laughs> players like Robbie Keane. Like, we don't deserve to be here. So this is, whatever happens, it's not just a bit of a laugh. I liked um, South Africa. People give it quite a bad name. It's one of the, the worst World Cups uh, in mm. recent history. Vuvuzelas. I didn't dislike the Vuvuzelas. And I thought, I thought it was really important that um, it was a massive thing for Africa as a Mm. continent i know it's a massive continent which might not mean much but be able to get a world cup there was a really big yeah. thing and yeah it was i thought they did it pretty well and the boobies all right they were annoying but they were so it, it really fitted the culture and if you go try and think of some of the other big international tournaments we've we've had recently like when we've when i've been at places like germany uh, and even south korea japan one it they just felt a bit it felt a bit bland. It all felt a bit clinical. Mm. Uh, obviously, we still talk about the Mexican wave because of what Mexico. happened in, yeah. because of Mexico. We we talk about Vuvuzelas because of what happened in South Africa, and I think that that, that was great. For it. Um, it was really annoying, but so was the ball. I remember the talk about the football being too jabby, stuff like that. I wonder whether maybe we're being slightly snobbish because we're coming at it like from a kind of rich country perspective but there's definitely something in it for like developing countries to have the opportunity to do something that everybody else does which ironically was the rationale used by FIFA for giving the World Cup to Qatar but let's not go there. Um, I wonder whether one of the reasons we don't particularly look fondly on the 2010 World Cup was because England were shite. That's, That's the worst I think I've ever seen England be until actually Euro 2016 <laughs> but, but at the time like I remember Brazil, uh, Brazil quite fondly as well um, mm. just the whole mm. narrative around it like building stadiums in the middle of the Amazon rainforest that nobody could get to and uh, the football being particularly high intensity and there being this sense that Brazil has this divine right to win the World Cup in their own backyard and then they get absolutely spanked off Germany um, yeah. which is still one of the I've watched that game back a few times it's probably my favorite football match ever because germany didn't play very well and won was it 7-1 7-2 7-2 7-1 7-1 okay <laughs> it was seven something and yeah. they didn't they they didn't play very well at all <laughs> i i think that tournament as well that would be my if i had to choose from my lifetime favorite euros and favorite world cup it would be world cup brazil and euro 2008 
And I always think that maybe maybe it's childish, but I just love the ones where there are loads of goals and there are great strikers who are just banging it in. Yeah, goals are good. And it was like emerging Torres, who was so quick, it was silly. And then 2014, wasn't it the opening game where Spain were going to be, were expected to be good? And uh, Holland under Van Van Gaal beat them like, 4-1 4-1 or 5-1 yeah. or something ridiculous yeah. and there was yeah. that Van Persie header where he yes. flops like a salmon in that yeah. really tasty like dark Satisfied. navy kit those are the those are the iconic images you remember you remember the goals and the laughs and the the shock of it all going in there's also just something quite I don't know quite satisfying about seeing those eras isn't there of, of teams like Spain had 2008 2010 2012 and they've been pretty insipid ever since mm. um holland are an interesting team the netherlands have always been relatively good as far as i'm aware they've never won anything but then just seem to go through these like fluctuations of going oh no no okay we're bad again now uh, <laughs> and like not even qualifying for tournaments i think we've probably seen the end of peak germany as well now uh, it's going to be interesting to see who kind of takes up that mantle like, everybody i think most people aren't looking past france really um, but it would be interesting to see if they can build a kind of dynasty, think, if you like, like mm-hmm. Spain did and Germany did. I think the French, the French got a good chance of doing that, and they've got by far the deepest talent pool. Um, and actually, you mentioned the Dutch, Jim. They're my dark horse because mm, at, the, at the back, they've got <laughs> Van Dijk and um, uh, De Litt. And in holding mid, they've got Frankie Dion. And I just think if you've got that as your starting base, you've got that core. Mm. Teams that win tournaments are strong in that area of the pitch historically. Mm, interesting. I was going to say, let's move on to uh, to predictions then for the European Championships. But it sounds like we all went for the same dark horses. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting. Everybody thinks the Netherlands are going to do well. So watch them finish bottom of their group. Um Turkey have been doing pretty well. They lost the, well, they screwed it up against Latvia the other day, which completely flies in the face of, of everything we've been saying. But um, they also beat the Dutch, which yeah. uh, says a lot about what we've been saying. They didn't just beat the Dutch as well; they hammered them. Yeah, it was four-two um, or something. Like Turkey have actually got some really useful players, and I was just looking at the groups for Euro twenty twenty. Everybody calls the last group the group of death, which has got Portugal, France, Germany and Hungary in it. Yeah. But in a similar kind of way, Group A, which is Turkey, Italy, Wales and Scotland, is also a bit of a group of death in a, in a different sense. Because they're... Uh, sorry, Switzerland, not Scotland. <laughs> um, you'd obviously expect Italy to win that group. Um, I don't know. I mean, actually, is the resident Poto who's not here... But he wasn't actually that convinced Italy would get out of the group. Well, they also have a, they do have a tendency to just fuck it occasionally, don't they? Um, <laughs> but those other three teams, Turkey, Wales and Switzerland, are all kind of best of the rest kind of teams, aren't they? They're not the sort mm. of team you expect to go on and win it, but they're all good teams that can give any side a difficult game. All three of those teams could go on a run deep into the tournament and get to the semi-final, but you just don't know which. Um England, you would think, have a group that surely even England can't cock up. Uh, oh, don't say that. Don't say Croatia, that. Croatia, Scotland and the Czech Republic. So what are the chances that we end up finishing third and going out of the group stages? High. 
genuinely, <laughs> genuinely think it could happen. Like the the Scottish game is massive. It's and I think it's is it the week that it's the day. It's, some, it's the day theoretically after, the day that we can be back. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm worried about that game. It's such mm. a massive game for for Scotland. They haven't been in a international tournament for what feels like forever in mm. in our sort of millennial living memory anyway um it's it was the 90s wasn't it yeah it's a massive um very obvious banana skin so we know what croatia are all about but that sort of golden era of players that they've had is perhaps coming to an end uh and the czech republic they're not they're not a bad side yeah it's one of those isn't it england have this horrible tendency to draw the opening game yeah. and it leaves you leaves you with work to do so, so they really need to win that first one. Yeah, we don't um, have a Panama to rely on this time. So <laughs> no. we, we had a good run last time. And that's I think that's, that's what will suit the Netherlands because they've got quite a good group. And then you can see a situation where people like Italy and Portugal don't actually even get out of their groups. Mm. So my other bold prediction, Portugal, France, Germany, Hungary. Hungary, you would expect to finish bottom of that group, but Hungary are not a bad team anymore. Yeah. They're, quite, they're quite good. I would not be surprised to see Germany finish bottom of that group. I wouldn't disagree, but I'll get my my kind of take on this group is whoever wins the group wins the tournament. Um, I think that whoever out of France and Portugal hits their their straps early and gets into the groove, I think they're going to be very hard to stop. Like we haven't mentioned the Portuguese yet. And they have got a really, really good lineup this year. Everyone's like in form or coming into form at just like the right time. Like you forget, like oh, also João Felix. Mm. Like let's just drop him in. Mm. Like Ruben Neves and Moutinho. If you yeah. need them as backups and holding mid. And what mm. are our warm-up games? We've got Austria and a similar third-tier nation. That's not. It's not a good enough warm-up for me. You wanted to have. Austria and Belgium or something to get you right in the mood for this is what a good team looks like. This is the yardstick, guys. And then you're coming into the first game, raring and ready to go. What are our predictions for England? Do we actually think we're going to win it? Or how far can we realistically go? Um, No, I don't think we can win it because I just... (laughs) I know that's that's not the answer. I want to say it's coming home, but there's two problems for me we don't have the creativity not quite in the middle of the park but just kind of between the lines in the final third and I don't think we have the defensive solidity you need so I can kind of imagine another situation where we end up getting to a quarter or semis but I would be very pleasantly surprised if we won the thing agree agree and hence and, and, and hence we should go into it with a truly Keegan attitude of let's just <laughs> chuck the water, you know, let's let's have a go, let's have a laugh, let's waistcoats off, waistcoats off, swinging, <laughs> go, just go for it. Like, like honestly, like you could have an absolute laugh, and I'd rather win the group stages, like I don't know, with like four threes and it all being a bit mad, and then accept that you know we're probably going to go out to a better organized and stronger team in the semis. Um, but let's have a laugh with it, like hand, hand break off, Gareth. That is the key. <laughs> It's written in the stars after 18 months of lockdown misery. Everything opens up and England 
rise to the occasion. It's coming home, boys. Um, <laughs> so on that note, let's see if it is coming home. We'll probably revisit this again a bit close to the tournament, talk about squads and whether we've changed our minds um, and laugh at ourselves when we said things like Netherlands are going to get out of the... Netherlands are going to be the dark horses and then they end up finishing fourth. Um, but not quite sure how often we're going to do these things, but we'll keep uh, giving it a go and see how it goes. Do let us know what you think anything you'd like us to talk about, any questions, anything like that, about anything to do with the game, and we will see what we can come up with. Um, but for now, that's uh, that's everything. So see you next time.